You're listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. Our prayers that this encourages you in the Lord. Now it's on. Howdy, everybody. Greetings and salutations. Um, it's it's great to hear everybody sing together, isn't it? It's uh, like different parts. They, they, they kind of meld together into this one thing. Um, if I can ruin it with an analogy, it's like, uh, it's like that scene in Ratatouille where Remy talks about how, you know, you eat the strawberry and you eat the cheese and they're okay, and then you eat both of them together and, like, jazz happens. So, um, but it's, it's kind of like that. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll, but this is, this, is, this is important is that, you know, no, no one voice is... Is like drowns out the other, but they complement each other, and it's great. So, um, thank y'all for singing, and thank you for preparing, and thank y'all for coming and being here, and uh, consuming um, uh, the Lord's Italian food, which is pizza. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're really, really pleased to be able to to be here. And um, when uh, we were talking through as an elder team, you know, like we need to do something. Let's do something on Wednesdays, and we we're talking about some things. And Hank mentioned doing. Uh, talking through the solas as as a part of that, and uh, this is the structure that we wanted to do. So this is going to be a little, it's it's more loose, like informal, so I don't shake your shoulders or something, um, than, um, than like what I would do for like normal sermon. Um, but um, but yeah, so we're, we're doing the sola series, um, so that you know the doctrines of grace, uh, it is uh, based on a book, which will be on a slide, and I'll hold up in a second. Uh, but it's not just based on a book. We, we use the book kind of for ideas and structure, but uh, these are ideas that have been around and were key to the Reformation itself. Uh, we're going to kick off today with Sola uh, Scriptura, excuse me, uh, then uh, Sola Gratia, uh, Sola Fide, uh, Sola Christus, and Sola De La Gloria, which are just a bunch of fancy Latin words that mean uh, only Scripture, only grace, only faith, only Christ, and only to God be the glory. And so that's uh, where we're at. So the, the past month, we've walked through um, this book and these concepts uh, with one another, encouraging one another, and it's our deepest hope that you know, you'll leave here edified with some things to to grow in and to, to share as well uh, and to remind each other with one another. So thank you for being here on this inaugural um, October. Uh, I had a joke about Oktoberfest, but it just didn't make the cut. So there you go. Um, but so today we'll be starting off with where we all should start, and that is Scripture. So we're going to talk about uh, sola scriptura, which is grace alone. Uh, excuse me, Scripture alone. So, and, and the book subtitles this uh, one standard. So there are all the subtitles on subsequent slides that you will all be treated to on subsequent Wednesdays. That's a teaser to come back. Um, but uh, scripture alone, it's one standard that we have, and as Christians, we have to recognize that um, that that's what we ascribe uh, to, and that's what we subscribe to. Uh, that it is scripture alone that is our ultimate and final authority on matters of life and faith, and as we'll see, uh, the foundation for everything that we actually experience and live and think in our lives, and that as Christians, that that should be the case. 
So uh, begin, let me talk a little bit about uh, a book that we are using to guide this conversation. It's uh, The Beauty of Divine Grace. It's by Gabriel Inhi Fluher, um, which I'm sure I'm mispronouncing. Uh, I mean, F-L-U-H-R-E-R. -E it's very German, so uh, Fluher. I tried. Um, so, but uh, he goes through each of the doctrines of, uh, doctrines of grace in kind, and uh, we're going to start with that here. So again, we're kind of using this as, as substantive material to go on. Um, and what he does in this book, and in this chapter on Sola Scriptura, is he basically explains... 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So again, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit slower so we can take notes and things like that. But uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 uh, says this. It's a Bible verse that you probably all know very well. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Now, if you've been around a while, you know we've talked about this because we did 2 Timothy. And uh, again, this is a very familiar verse, right? This is, this is probably, the, uh, you know, show of hands, we'll do a vote, right? If, if somebody were to ask you to talk about Scripture and the Bible and why it's important, who would go to some version of this verse? Well, you see that all Scripture is it's breathed out by God, and it's, it's, it's great, right? I mean, this is, this is where we would start, so it's, it's a great place to start. And so this entire chapter here is an exposition on that. So the first thing that I really want to answer with this, though, is, okay, well, if sola scriptura, scripture only, is so important, why are we, you know, why are we talking about a guy's book? And we've got, first of all, he's talking about the Bible, right? So even his starting point is a Bible verse, Right, so um, Mr. Daniel, Doctor, oh, excuse me, Gabriel, got that wrong. Uh, Doctor Gabriel, full. I'm not going to say the last name again because we all know I'll butcher it. Anyway, but his his book is even starts with scripture and what scripture is, and each one of the subsequent chapters has a kind of key passage that it comes from. But so it's not wrong. So put a pin in that though, real quick. Because what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the fact that we have a book, we have the book, and a book, right? But we're going to talk about why the book is the book as well. So, so uh, even in talking about this, we're following this core value of solar scripture in so far as we are starting with scripture, and that's what we're doing. So um, this is the Bible verse that he uses, and before we get into um, jumping in, let's do a little background information. I'll do a little outline about where we're at, and then, uh, and then we'll kind of jump in and, and take out the verse piece by piece. We'll uh, do exactly what we do on Sunday, right, which is study verse by verse. All right. Um, okay, so uh, first of all, uh, as far as 2 Timothy goes, um, it's written to Timothy. Shocker. Um, it's also Paul's last word, so this is widely considered to be Paul's last book, right? This is the last letter that we have of him canonically, of him writing uh, to Timothy. And we'll see a little bit more about Timothy this week uh, in Sunday. So, teaser for Sunday, come back Sunday. Um, and, and so, you would think, right, the, the last words are really important, right? 
you're, this is the last thing that I can say. I mean, the, think about the last things that we say to our kids or our spouse or, you know, when we leave for the day, right? Love you. See you later. Like, there's this expectation. That last thing that we say is supposed to be the most important thing. That's the thing that we want them to go away from us, and we want to leave it with them, right? So in a lot of sense, this is what Paul is doing for Timothy. He's already written one letter. It's at 2 Timothy. Um, it's 2 Timothy, so there is a 1 Timothy, right? Um, he's already written the one letter, and so now he's writing this one, and this is, this is like his last push. The last things that I want Timothy to remember before I go before I leave this, and as he goes, uh, would prob- as we talk about biblically, like go to sleep and rise with the Lord, to rise with the Lord Jesus one day. This is what he wants to leave them with. So the things that are in this book, they're not more important than other parts of scriptures. But for Paul, this is paramount. He's communicating to Timothy exactly what Timothy needs to know when he's not there anymore, when you can't call dad or you can't call your mentor. This is what he wants to leave them with. So that's the background of Paul writing this letter. Now, as far as this verse and how we're going to unpack it, um, let's go ahead and go to the outline. And basically, we're going to unpack it this way. Big point one, what God's word is. This is what's God, what God's word is. So we're going to talk about two things underneath that. So... Uh, Gabriel has um, kind of this same structure here, and I wanted to follow it too because, hey, you know, it's good structure. Use it. Um, so first we're going to talk about the scope of God's Word. We're going to talk about its scope, its reach, what does it mean to be God's Word in that sense. And then we're going to talk about the nature of God's Word. So both of these directly relate to what God's Word is and to the, the content and where we draw the lines and what we say, what it is, and then its essence, like, and its being the nature of what God's Word is. Then we'll go to what God's Word does. Um, so this is the one that I tweaked. He actually has usefulness under what God's Word is, but y'all don't care about that, so we're doing this outline. Um, so what God's Word does, the usefulness of God's Word, like, what, what, is, what is it used for? So you've you got a, a shovel, it digs holes. You've got a rake, it pulls things, right? You've got a, a, a backhoe, it digs big old ditches real fast, right? Uh, who needs the shovel anymore? Um, so the usefulness of God's Word, like, what, what is it does? And then uh, the sufficiency of God's Word. Uh, so if you've heard the word sufficiency as well before, a little bit of a teaser, sufficiency is about um, the completeness and how um, the Word of God is sufficient. It fills all the gaps that are needed for what it does. And then last, we'll talk a little bit about a little bit of an application, living out sola scriptura. This is something that's important. We're obviously talking about it on church. So uh, how do you do it, right? I mean, it's, it's one thing to have a concept up here, but it's another thing to have a concept here and even here, right, in what we do and how we live. So... Um, hopefully, I've stalled long enough for the outline, but don't fear because the titles are the outline of the slide. So let's first talk about what God's Word is. And we begin with the scope of God's Word. Uh, and, and like I said, I promised you, we're just stepping through this verse, so uh, you can turn to your Bibles and follow the bouncing ball. But all Scripture, the scope of it, what do we mean? All of it, 100%. 
Complete, total, all of it. And uh, this is something that we can agree to, right? All Scripture. Oh, yes, of course, all Scripture, yes. So what, what do we mean about all Scripture? Well, I mean, we today, right, mean the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's the Old Covenant, it's the New Covenant, right? We have the books that were written before Christ, we have the books that were written after Christ, and that is what we, uh, we believe. It's Scripture. This has been handed down to us, and it's every bit of every book, right? So that's easy enough, right? This is almost too easy. But there runs a risk, right, when we talk about all of Scripture, Sometimes when the rubber meets the road, so to speak, when we mean all of Scripture, even in our own hearts, it's, oh, it's all of Scripture, but I don't really understand that verse, and we just kind of, boop, boop, over there, right? That's, but that's not all of Scripture. So I want to talk about, to, for under the scope of God's Word, we have two common rebuttals, two common barriers that we come up against when we talk about God's Word. So the first one is, what about authorship, right? So if you think about Scripture, right? So um, Scripture is written by whom? Very good. Awesome. All right. Very good. All right. So Scripture is, uh, is written by God, right? Um, and 2 Timothy is Scripture, right? Yep. All right. We're there. All right. So 2 Timothy is written by who? God, right? 2 Timothy is also written by Paul, right? Okay. So how do we, how do we make that? meet, okay? So we can talk about different, um, different parameters. We can talk about different, um, different diagrams, different ways of understanding. Well, you know, is it, you know, uh, okay, well, you know, when we talk about all Scripture is God-breathed, well, that's obviously like, shoop, all right, uh, that's 100%, that's 100% God, right? Okay, well, maybe there's another part in 2 Timothy we don't understand. Well, okay, well, you know, Paul's slipping in a little bit here, right? This is, this is Paul doing Paul's thing, and he's Pauling it up, and, you know, it's, it's Scripture, right? But, and, and you see the danger of this, right? We can't, you can't employ a paradigm. You can't employ this kind of, like, 100%, 50%, 60-40, Paul, God, 30-70, God, Paul, Moses, God, 80-20, right? You can't impose that kind of paradigm when we're trying to understand authorship. And uh, if, it's, if, it, if it's helpful, right, I mean, think about it in this way. And this is the way that, that the book says it, and I really like this phrase, that God employed human writers. God employed the human writers, all right? So they're God's words, and he's telling them what to write, and he employs them, he uses them. They are his instrument to write on the page and to pass these things down. And what's really important about realizing this, right, is if you start having this understanding of, well, you know, 60-20 God Micah, right, or 60-40, I don't know what the other 20 would be in the 60-20 God Micah, but... uh, We'll figure it out, but there's another problem, right? So when, when you start talking about this, what we're really putting at risk is the infallibility or the inerrancy of Scripture. So infallibility is a fancy word, and infallibility means that it's incapable of error, that Scripture is incapable of error. Inerrancy is a sister word to that, so we have infallibility, which means that 
Scripture cannot err. It is not possible within its nature for it to have errors. Inerrancy means that it contains no errors of religious teaching, scientific fact, or for that matter, anything else. So when we start trying to understand, well, what about dual authorship? And maybe this part is, you know, Moses signing through or a little bit of Joshua's take on it. What we're doing is we're, we're sowing seeds into the seedbed of that, uh, that foundation of inerrancy and infallibility, of it being true, of it being all Scripture is God-breathed to form little cracks and little pieces down the road. So that's one rebuttal. You may have it in your heart, or you may hear other people, well, this is just a book written by people. Well, it is written by people, but it's also written by God. It's dual authorship there. One of the other things that, that can slip on, I mean, you really believe that, the, the, the Bible thing? Like, you believe this? Turn to random Old Testament fact and law. You believe that? That's good? That's, that's right? That's true? So it is this, and so what's, uh, what's an easy way to, to sort of explain that, right? It's a product of the culture. Oh, this is, just, this is just the way they understood it. This is just the way that, you know, uh, uh, turn-of-the-century Greek people understood it or Jewish people understood it. This is just the way that Abraham, in his context, really understood what was happening. Fill in the blank, right? So this is, this is a, it's a, really, I mean, it's a really effective tool for explaining away some things, but that's the problem is that's exactly what it does, right? Setting, saying that, oh, well, this is just a product of culture, right? What are we doing? Okay, well, this piece is a product of culture over here, and this is a piece of Hebrew culture, and we know this from history, and we study over there. And Oh, this, this piece over here, this is good. So this is, what am I doing? Who's the authority in that situation? I am, right? It's not Scripture that's the authority. It's me. I'm getting to pick out what I want. Okay, tweeze this over here, tweeze that. Um, eventually, by the way... Um, this is what happens when you tweet things, is you get nothing left, right? I have no hair left on my head. And it's because, you know, this, I mean, there was just one hair on the hairline, and you pick it, and it just keeps going back and back, and then Tori says, hey, that's really long, and this is recorded, and now that's on the internet for people to hear. Anyway, but, but I mean, this is, this, is, this is what happens. And this is the really, really, really important thing about the product of culture argument, is that we cannot set ourselves up as the authority over Scripture and that's exactly what we do. We think that we're being, you know, some people think that they're being faithful to it. They think that they're being well-meaning and good-intentioned readers of Scripture. But the reality is we can't use, oh, this is just a product of culture. This is just something that that, um, that culture has. And expect that to, and, and not realize what we're doing is we're subtly, subtly just pushing Scripture just a little bit further off the bench. Okay, so all the Scripture... There's no excuse for it. You can't have a rationale around what it is. You've got to take it for what it is. Next, the nature of God's Word. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Who knows the Word? The Word for breathed out by God. Theonustos. It was on everybody's tongue. Yes. So, so Paul, Paul invents this word. Um, I had fun with the phonetic spelling of this. So, uh, news toast. Uh, which is the best kind of news, by the way, because you can eat it afterward, and it tastes delicious with jam. 
Uh, but uh, it's, it's a compound word, um, and uh, you know, Greek people, Latin people like to do that. The Germans also really like to do it, speaking of uh, Mr. Fluher there. Um, that's jammed together, right? Theo, which means God. Neustos, which means breathe, right? Which is also the word for spirit. It's the, it's what I'm doing here, right? It's the, all of scripture at its very nature, at its very core is there, right? It's a new word to say that God speaks to us in this book, all right? So an example of, of, of this, okay? What we really, really don't what we really leave behind a lot of times when we, oh, like, you know, like, let's read the Bible. Okay, Psalm 23, I've read that, that 5,000 times. What about this other Psalm? Oh, this is cool. Um, okay, all right. Uh, that's, that's really strange. Don't understand that one. What we, what we leave out and what we take for granted by this word is that this is literally breathed out. When it's breathed out by God, God is literally communing with us. In this book, God speaks to us. This is something that we say from this pulpit all the time. Like, I mean, if somebody says, God said, what should be next? In Isaiah 6, verse 4, right? This is the only way that we are 100% sure of what God said, what God said. Again, we're talking about one standard. This is the standard. This is the, the, if if you remember, there's an example that I'd like to give for this. uh, With um, Jesus' teaching, and he says, the rich man and Lazarus. You remember this story? The rich man dies. Lazarus dies. Uh, The rich man uh, goes to Sheol, and the Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom, and uh, the rich man is trying to convince the angel, like, listen, I don't want my brothers to have to experience what I'm experiencing here. Just do something. Tell them to go back. Tell them to, to get somebody and he's just begging. Like he knows he can't have relief, but he wants his family to not have that. And what does the angel say? They have Moses. They have the prophets. If they don't believe those words, Scripture, God breathed, it won't matter if somebody comes back to the dead. Right? And this is, this is the irony, too, right? Because what happened to Jesus? He came back from the dead. You can say this is interactive and more loose, and it's fun. All right, so he came back from the dead, and they had their scriptures, and they didn't believe it. And then some dude comes back from the dead, and they don't believe it. And it's true, right? So do not neglect that what we have in God's word as breathed out by God. The second thing I want, to, uh, I want to point out in this, and this is a, a little my own addition, but um, it's, it's a fun thing. So hopefully, slide. So we recognize God's word as God's word, not because any external authority says that it is God's word, but because of the affirmation of the Holy Spirit and the testimony of the historical church. All right. This is really important because when you're understanding Scripture, well, how, how do we know it's God's Word and how do we know that it's right and how do we know that it's good? We know that it's good because it has been preserved by the Holy Spirit through the centuries and it's been handed down to us. So in, in other denominations, in other, in other expressions of Christianity, let's say, you say, okay, well, we know that, well, the church gives us the Bible. The church gives the stamp of approval of what is God's word, right? And what I want to get across by this point is that 
God's word is God's word, right? No matter who says it. Now, we have the benefit of that, of that handing down. But if you think about it, like with a jeweler example, right? If you have a priceless diamond there, does the, the jewelers, oh, this is a priceless diamond. Does that make it a priceless diamond? It doesn't make it the priceless diamond. Does the, the, the 24 karat gold is gold, pure gold in and of itself, regardless of any kind of grading that may be given to it from an external authority? And this is one of the things that we have to remember as Scripture is, you know, uh, this was passed down to us by people over centuries, over millennia at this point. But we have to understand, right, that even if they can say, well, we know that this is to be, uh, you know, we have prayed and we know this to be the true testimony, right? It's not the people making the statement that gives God it's God's word, its authority that says, oh, it's God's word now. Yep, nice. And no, no, it's God's word is God's word because it's breathed out by God. All right, so that's the nature of what God's word is. Let's talk about what God's word does. Is everybody tracking so far? Any questions? Does anybody need water? I need water. Where did my water go? Ah, I told you I was going to prepare this in stages. We're in stage two now. All right. What God's Word does. The first thing we want to talk about here is the usefulness of God's Word. And that starts off with this. All Scripture is God breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. So, Training people and training all people, one, was countercultural in Roman society. You didn't just go out and, and teach and educate everybody. Education was for the elect. It was for special people, right? But this training is for everyone. It is profitable for these things. So the first thing that we need to realize is that training is that we all need training. We need training. You need training. I need training. Little babies need training. Old people need training. Like everyone needs training in righteousness. We all do. Now, there, there's something that is, is very important I, I want to point out by, uh, about correction, right? We have to understand that when we use the Bible and when the Bible is employed in its sense in this passage for correction, for reproof and for training in righteousness. It's not, it's not, bam, Scripture says, bam, right? It's not that. It's what it is, is instead, it's a correction of fatherly grace. And I would like to, I, I, when I was uh, doing this with the elders on Tuesday mornings, I, I coined this term lawnmower parenting, and so you're all welcome to use it now. But lawnmower parenting is, is this, right? So I have this lawn, it needs to be cut, it needs to be two inches, we're going to stick a ruler down there, we're going to measure our lawnmower wheel, we're going to set our wheels, and we're going to cut that thing, yeah, and it's all going to be perfect, right? And this is what we do with, with kids, parents, uh, employees, coworkers, subordinates sometimes, right, is we just want to, like, just get it level, right? But that's not the way that God's Word corrects us. God's Word corrects us gently. What, what analogies does Jesus use? He uses, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? He uses analogies of shepherding, right? And these are all very kind, nurturing corrections. So when you hear this, if you have this kind of reaction, it's just like, well, I don't like being disciplined. Well, guess what? One, nobody does. But two, what it's talking about here is not this like, 
there's weeds in the ground and I'm just going to set my lawnmower and I'm going to indiscriminately mow every single blade of grass, right? God cares about each one of us as living stones in the building. He cares about each one of us and he is growing us in a way that best benefits us and best shows his glory. So when everyone needs training, Don't think about and don't recoil from God's correction because what he is doing is he's not just cutting you off, even though sometimes you are cut off, but what he's doing is he is cutting off that and he's encouraging you to grow in a new way. All right, second thing um, about this, uh, beware of experts without consulting the source. Like, uh, you know, uh, I read in the Bible last night uh, that uh, God helps those who help themselves, right? Okay, all right, so... There's no scripture citation. That's not a Bible verse, right? So this is one of the things that you can do. So if you hear somebody up here or anywhere saying, well, you know, I don't think God said, or I don't think that Jesus would, or, you know, that's not something that, that, that's not kind, or that's not whatever as far as what Christ Jesus would do, right? What's your source? What's your proof? What's your backup of it? Like, come back to the source for the, for the information, Listen, it's not good enough that somebody drank Dr. Pepper or stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. You need proof. Cite your sources, right, Taylor? Cite your sources. All right, there we go. Um, so God's Word is useful for those things, and these are things that we need to look out for. One, we need training. We need to recognize that we need training, and we need to accept that. And then we also need to know that we are looking for a source material, right? Always coming back to this. Uh, next and last in this what does God's Word do, is the sufficiency of God's Word. So what is sufficiency? Uh, That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is about the ability of God's Word to accomplish all the things that we just talked about. So when we're talking about the usefulness of God's Word, and that it's how it's profitable for correction and reproof, etc., God's Word is also sufficient for that. It needs nothing else in order to do this. Now, this doesn't mean that this sufficiency goes beyond just salvation. It's sufficient for all of life, for everything that we do. It's so it's not, but when I say that, it's not a textbook, but it's necessary in every field of study. So, if you want a, st- a textbook on biology, and this is where I asked you to pin that thought in the beginning, again, with about concerning the book and having a book and having some guidance and some external sources. This is not bad, right? It's not bad to have a textbook on biology because people have studied hard and run experiments and they know how things work, right? But if I don't start off with a point of having this as my foundation, you can get some pretty kooky conclusions. We'll leave that there. I mean, you can get some pretty kooky conclusions on any field of study if you don't start with the fact that In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you don't start with that kind of framework, then the the fruits of that will not reflect that foundation. Scripture is the foundation, not the other way around. We don't observe things with our eyes and uh, put it on that. But we have to understand, especially when it comes to things of written in, in history or in science or in math, in any other field, that God's Word creates and sustains all the systems of the world in Him and through Him and by Him were all things made. If, uh, 
there we go, from him and to him as well. But um, there. Um, speaking of quoting scripture without a source, uh, it's, it's in there. I'll find it and at the end. We can talk about it. All right. So um, <laughs> with, without scripture, too, every other discipline is insufficient, right? Like you can't have science without scripture. Science w- without that understanding of, of how God made it will fail. Anything without how the understanding of how God made it will ultimately fail. Uh, next is that the, f- the word of God is tied to the work of Christ. So it's sufficient in this sense, right? The sufficiency of Christ's work is, as we've uh, talked about in, in Acts, right? Um, grace, uh, grace plus me going out and helping a lot of people means that I'm saved, right? No, negative. That's right. Grace plus... Grace plus... Oh, come on, man. We, we just like, like, come on, he's right there. Grace plus nothing, right? Grace plus nothing is how salvation works. And in the same sense that Christ's work is sufficient for us unto salvation, God's word is sufficient for the task that it does, for these things that it talks about, and for revelation of God's plan, and for the correction and reproof and the upbuilding of everyone. So, the word also is sufficient because, again, it's tied to that work of Christ because the word reveals the work of Christ, right? We've, we've talked about this in Acts as well. The, the proclamation of the church is that Jesus he came, he lived a sinless life, he died, he rose again, and that's what we're proclaiming. And he will come again to judge. One day, he is coming back. This is the hope of every Christian is that that is what, we're looking forward to. And if you start picking and choosing things from the Bible, if you start saying, well, maybe it's not good for everything, or maybe we need to supplement a little bit with vitamin D, right? Then it's not sufficient. But the good news is that it is sufficient because Christ is sufficient, the Word is sufficient. It's all sufficient for that. So this is, we've talked about uh, the sufficiency of God's word, we've talked about its usefulness, we've talked about the nature and the scope of it. But all of this comes back to this, right? Scripture is one standard. Everyone has a standard. And this is, I think, my favorite quote from, uh, from that chapter is, because of what God's word is and does, it is the only standard by which you should judge everything else. The reality is, I have a standard. Before I understood the way that I do now, I have a standard. Some of you, before you came to Christ, you had a standard that you live by. Every single person out there has a standard that they live by. Sometimes it's themselves. Sometimes it changes from minute to minute. And those people are... Anyway, um, but anyway, everybody has a standard um, in that. So, so some people would say, they would jump from this to this to this, and you say, what standard are you living by? I don't believe in consistency. What is your standard? But everyone has one, and as Christians and as people of God, Scripture is our standard. So, with that, let's start closing out, and let me tell you a story. It's about this guy. Um, let me tell you, he was fun back then. Um, it's me. Um, so, I, I went to a place... Um, 
it's called Lee, uh, Lee University, and I, I studied Bible and theology there. And when I uh, graduated, I was fortunate enough to go back, and I, I did a Master's of Arts in Theology, and I completed that. And uh, graduated with that on the next day, Tori and I got married, and, and that, was a, that was a filled weekend. Anyway, um, so <laughs> what, uh, what, with, with this, all right, I, I, we were still hanging around. Tori had to finish her senior year of school, and I had to find a job, right? And so I just got this accreditation, this diploma, um, a second one from this institution. I'm just like, well, hey, you know, I'd like to come back in, and I'd like to, to teach people, right? And I'd like to teach people theology. I got my a degree in theology, and I really, really loved theology, and I just wanted to explain it all. It was so great. You just had the system, and you just put it together, and it just clicked, right? Well, there was only one problem. Um, they, they didn't have any intro to t- theology classes available, and I was pretty bummed about that. But they said, hey, you know, we've got this intro to Old Testament. The message of the Old Testament was for non-majors, and it was about teaching people what the Bible said, what the Old Testament said in light of Christ. It was a very evangelistic kind of thing. And I went through that, and it was great. And I went through, they, they gave me a New Testament class, and I was fortunate enough to do that. And I, I, I want, I, I, I want you all to understand that I loved, I, I loved being a Christian. I loved Jesus. I loved the Bible. I, I, I had read it. I'd read it since I was a little kid, right? But going through that class and having to open it up and having to say, okay, well, what does Judges have to do with that? And reading external books that helped me to understand what Judges meant as far as the cycle of rebellion and teaching that to, to people and having to explain that and seeing how all of these things fit together from beginning to end, from Old to New Testament, I, it gave me a greater appreciation for just how important the Bible is. It wasn't like theology is great, and I still love it, and we can still talk about it all day long, but unless that theology is biblically grounded, it's dirt. Unless you come and cite the sources and explain it, and don't pick and choose, it's not worth anything. And I, I hope that by doing this, we go, uh, that you'll grow in a greater appreciation of what this book is. I, and, and I really mean it when going through that book, semester by semester, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, gave me that appreciation just on this next level. I, had, I have no idea. Uh, I, I hope that, uh, and I'm, I'm still... We still, I still love it. Anyway, um, so that's the story of that kid. Um, he's he's up here right now. He's more bald. Uh, he's still just as fun though. Anyway, um, so what do we do when we're living out scripture? How are we going to take this and how are we going to apply it? How are we going to make it work? Right. So uh, there is no life hack for living out sol- sola scriptura. I, I don't know what world or field of study or hobby you come from. Uh, in, in video games, we call it min-maxing, where you just make sure that you have the right stats where they're supposed to be. Uh, return on investment for some of you business people. Uh, you may uh, think of it like that. Um, there's no, like, and, and again, life hack is the common social media, right? This one life hack will change your life. Just eat this rutabaga raw every night, and your colon will be so clean. Yeah, well. Anyway, there, there's no life hack for getting into this, right? There's no way to, to make it a short and easy trip, and I will prove it from Scripture. Ha! All right. So before 
this verse, all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful and profitable, comes this verse, and it's 2 Timothy 3 through 10 through 11. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra. I remember those. We talked about those recently in Acts, right? Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. When Paul writes this, he's not giving Timothy some kind of cheap trick. He's not giving him just like, well, just read the Bible and your life will be better and you'll grow and it'll be amazing. He's, it's grounded in this. It's, it's in both places. It's grounded in this. You have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, followed like years, day by day, month in, month out. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes we get a shipwreck. Captain should have listened to us, right? Like that kind of stuff. My persecutions twice mentioned in this verse, right? There's no life hack for this. Living out solar scriptura, it's, it's difficult. Opening the Bible, reading the Bible, it's difficult. Prayer is probably, I, I think, the highest and, and most difficult uh, spiritual discipline because uh, when you start to pray... Like, oh yeah, man, I, I forgot about my dog three years ago, right? You didn't, didn't need to think about that. Focus on, focus on that. But the Bible's a little bit easier in that it, it's right here and you have a physical object in your hand and you can read it. But still, it's difficult to get through it, to get through some of the passages. And sometimes even the passages that you've known for a long time is really difficult. It's difficult to be disciplined to get up and read it or to stay up late and read it or to have a really bad moment in your life and read something and, and realize that that too is from God. So this is a, a downer, but I want to encourage you that you experience the work and I experience the work as hard because it is hard, but brothers and sisters, it is worth it. And so I leave, you, oh, I leave you with this. So there's another book that I don't have and I couldn't find. It's called Before You Open Your Bible. And it has eight heart postures in it. Don't freak out. I'm just going to read them, okay? I'm not going to explain all of them. Um, it has eight heart postures on, um, on what you should do and how you should approach when you read your Bible. Um, prayerfully. Simple enough, right? Lord, teach me how to do this. Humbly. God, I don't know everything. Desperately. I need you to tell me these things. I can't grow on my own self. I need you for my own spiritual growth. Studiously, you should pay attention. I mean, if we, wouldn't, if we didn't study it studiously, wouldn't, we wouldn't know that when he's talking about these things in 2 uh, Timothy 3, he's talking about things that have been described by Dr. Luke in Acts. Obediently. Man, I sure don't know. I sure don't like that. I'll do it anyway. Joyfully. Thank you that you did not leave us in darkness, but you have sat down and written something for me to live my life. And thank you for saving me. Help me to live this expectantly. When you read this, God speaks. Theo news toast, right? God speaks. Communally. That's what we're doing here, right? It's going to be really easy for me to read this and come to all my conclusions, but you know what I need? I need Hank. I need Dolan. I need you to knock me on the head when I've read something. I'm just like, well, I think this means that everybody should wear purple bunny slippers 
It's what the Bible says. No, that's not what the shod, gospel shot of peace is. Like, we don't have to wear Bible shoes, okay? Read it communally. Get input. Work with one another. Let grace work in that. And finally, Christocentrically, right? Jesus is at the center of it all. All of history points to that central moment when God, man, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human, died on the cross and won that salvation for our sins. So, all right, as, uh, as uh, hopefully that's enough time for you all to wrap that up. If you uh, have time or are interested in that, I can show you where it is. It's a fantastic read. It's really, really short, too, which is great for me. Anyway, um, some, some walk-away questions. Uh, I apologize if I've been a little bit along, but some takeaway questions um, to reflect on. Why is the Bible the standard? Why is the Bible the standard? Questions that we can answer and then chew on a little bit as we walk away today. Why is the Bible the standard? How does the Bible's sufficiency affect other fields of study? How does the fact that the Bible is enough, if you want to read it that way, how does that affect other fields of study? And what should that look like? A little more personal, what are other standards? What other standards can compete with the Bible? It's different for me. It's different for you. It's different for that person next to you. What other standards? Where have you been confronted with that? Again, humbly, obediently, joyfully. And last, which of the last approaches that we just talked about most catches your attention and will you take with you? So, um, thank you for your time today. I've been a little bit, um, I, I feel like I've been a little bit too long, but I hope, again, that, that we'll come away from this with a greater appreciation of Scripture. And next week, we will talk about grace alone and how that is also important. So I pray you've been edified, and then um, see you Sunday. So let's go. Good. We'd like to thank you for listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. If you have any questions or would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at www.covchurchtusk.com, or you can email info at covchurchtusk.com. God bless.